Hello, I'm Abram Banningen. And I'm Joanne Diaz. And this is Poetry for All. In this podcast, we read a poem, discuss it, learn from it, and then read it one more time. Today we'll be discussing Tracy K. Smith's erasure poem titled Declaration. It's a poem drawn from the Declaration of Independence. Tracy Smith is the former poet laureate of the United States. She's the author of four books of poetry. Her first book, The Body's Question, won the Cave Canem Prize for the best first book by an African-American poet. And her third book, Life on Mars, was the winner of the Pulitzer Prize. The poem we'll read today is from her most recent book, Wade in the Water. Joanne, would you be willing to read that poem for us? Yes. Declaration. He has sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people. He has plundered our, ravaged our, destroyed the lives of our, taking away our, abolishing our most valuable, and altering fundamentally the forms of our. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. Taken captive on the high seas to bear. It's such a powerful poem. So this poem is drawn from the Declaration of Independence, and I think it's worth rehearsing for folks who might not know just how long the Declaration of Independence actually is. So most people know the Declaration for its opening lines, which are really resonant uh, and very powerful, including the lines near the beginning, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and so forth. What some folks do not know as well is that the the Declaration goes on for several pages, and what it ends up becoming is really a rationale for independence that lists all the grievances the colonists have against the king. Uh, And so the he has of this poem is the he there is in the original Declaration of Independence is the King of England. And these are all the awful things the King of England has done that justify independence. And yet it becomes something totally new through this process of erasure. So so this is an erasure poem. And if you could tell us, Joanne, what exactly is erasure poetry? It's a fairly straightforward poetic constraint, but it has big results. Um, Basically, it requires that a poet erase words of a text of another person from another source until a poem emerges from the words that remain. And so erasure at its heart is an appropriation of a found text that unearths layers of possibility. It's related to other kinds of procedural constraints like found poetry and collage. There's lots of different ways that poets use erasure. Some people black out lines and words and phrases until a poem emerges. Some people use color and paint. Uh, With increasing frequency uh, in the United States in recent years, poets have been using erasure to really foreground some fairly serious political problems that are embedded in some of the written materials of our culture, right? And Soma Sharif, um, she has a wonderful book called Look, and she includes erasures there. 
She has this to say about this poetic procedure. The proliferation of erasure as a poetic tactic in the United States is happening alongside a proliferation of our awareness of it as a state tactic. Still, when it comes to erasure, this very form of palimpsest, the ghost is not only death or the degradations of time, the ghost is the state itself. And I think what she's trying to get at there is this notion that the state the United States, like state forces, often create redactions and erasures, uh, whether in government documents or of people or of freedoms. And I think that erasure poetry can provide some very powerful commentary on that. Yeah, so one of the things I find so interesting about erasure poetry is that by erasing, it actually finds. Mm. So by taking the documents of a state tactic of erasure that, for example, has hidden certain histories or hidden certain people, uh, taking those documents, erasing certain words and finding a poem within it, it's actually drawing to light the very things that the state has tried to hide. And what we see happening with this poem is, is much the same. It's, a, it's basically taking a declaration drafted by Jefferson in committee and made on behalf really of white colonists against the king and turning it around so that it becomes a poem about African-Americans and African-American history in relation to the United States that this document helped to create. Okay, and as I hear you talking, of course, I go to the very top of the poem and I'm hearing you cite the Declaration of Independence and Tracy Smith has chosen to title this poem Just Declaration. And as I read that title, it of course, lures me into the poem because I want to know a declaration of what? A declaration in opposition to or of what, right? And so she leaves that gap there intentionally to create a sense of mystery around what will come next. Right. So the first erasure is the words of independence, right? So this this is just declaration. Uh, and then we get into the actual mechanics of what she has left and what she has chosen to erase from the Declaration of Independence. But I think there's still something, even before we get into the text itself, there's still more interesting sort of history and context that surrounds the creation of this poem itself. Because what also a lot of people do not know about the Declaration of Independence is that itself was a document of erasure. That is, the actual printed, published Declaration of Independence that we have, the full text of it, removed certain passages in the creation of it that were precisely about things like slavery and the slave trade. So just to get into the, the kind of surrounding history here, and just so people understand how we have the Declaration of Independence, it was formed in a five-person committee, so it wasn't just Thomas Jefferson, though he did the primary drafting. It was also John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Roger Sherman, and Robert R. Livingston. And together they wrote this whole long document. And the very first rough draft of the Declaration of Independence is very much more like a bullet-pointed list of grievances. And one bullet point in that list is slavery and the slave trade. And, and basically the argument being the king has forced this awful thing upon us. Uh, and then in the mm. fuller version that gets drafted, that bullet point gets moved to the end of the list, sort of as the culminating point, And it gets rhetorically drawn out into a full paragraph about the evils really of slavery and the slave trade and the way that the king has propagated that 
and really uh, created it and forced this sort of mess of a situation on the United States or on what will become the United States. And it'll take just a minute, but I think it's worth reading this paragraph in full. So again, this is a paragraph about slavery that was that Jefferson drafted for the Declaration of Independence that Congress ended up removing before they sent the Declaration into print. And this is how it goes. He, that is the King of England, has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. This piratical warfare, the opprobrium of infidel powers, that is, even infidels hate this sort of thing, is the warfare of the Christian king of Great Britain. Determined to keep an open market where men should be bought and sold, he has prostituted his negative for suppressing every legislative attempt to prohibit or restrain this execrable commerce. In other words, he's vetoed every attempt to get rid of slavery or stop it. Hmm. And that this assemblage of horrors might want no fact of distinguished die. He is now exciting those very people to rise in arms against us and to purchase that liberty of which he has deprived them by murdering the people on whom he also obtruded them, thus paying off former crimes committed against the liberties of one people with crimes which he urges them to commit against the lives of another. So in other words, not only has he created the horror of slavery, he's now uh, inciting slaves to revolt and to murder their 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 owners and to and to rise up in rebellion um and this was the paragraph that jefferson uh drafted as the culminating sort of charge against the king of england and this was the paragraph that he says certain people from the south mainly south carolina and georgia wanted removed and what's so interesting is he says it wasn't just those folks, planters mainly, who wanted this paragraph removed. It was also Northerners wanted this paragraph taken out because they make so much money on the slave trade transporting the slaves that they didn't want this paragraph in there either. So you're saying that at its very foundations, this is a document that required erasures and excisions in order for this committee to be able to agree upon its language and for the various individuals to put their signatures on it. The Declaration of Independence is itself an erasure poem of sorts, except that mm. it actually erases something. Whereas Tracy K. Smith's poem is an erasure poem that brings to light, that, that turns our attention to the, precisely the thing that has been erased. And I think it is worth quickly pointing out that this is not to say that Jefferson was an uh, anti-slavery abolitionist, right? No. This was a man who owned hundreds of slaves and did, never emancipated them uh, and was committed all of his political life to white supremacy as a, as a basically a, a political ideal and never thought that the races could really coexist in a republic peacefully. Mm -hmm. And so what you see happening here in the Declaration of Independence is he's, he's really saying slavery is a problem. He also doesn't think it's viable as a long-term system, but he's basically placing the blame elsewhere. It's The, the problem mm. is that it's the king's problem. He really did this. Uh, it's not us. And, and the other problem is that it's going to cause these slaves to revolt against us. And so it's, so it's really a, a problem for white people, this institution of slavery that the king has created. As I hear you talking, there's a cluster of words in this poem that I think are so important as they relate to the formation of the nation 
and the afflictions that that white supremacist nation has caused. And those words are our and we uh, and us. In the context of the Declaration of Independence, the we or our or us is the white nation. It's the white supremacist system that is evolving into a nation. And then in Tracy Smith's erasure, it's transferred considerably um, to the voice of African Americans who have been deprived of their liberties as a result of this document, right? Mm-hmm. Who is the we? Who is the them? Who is the our and the our people? These are really important words, and they shift. And I think what is remarkable about, about the Declaration of Independence is that while in many ways the we that Jefferson had in mind was really white colonists and really white men, I mean, yes. this this was who they wrote this for. This was who they envisioned. This is how they thought about equality. It's how they could think about equality without thinking of themselves as hypocrites, even though they owned human beings as enslaved yeah. Africans. They could talk about equality in really powerful terms because they did not see them as part of the we that they were talking about. And that's precisely what Tracy K. Smith is pulling on here. But what's amazing, too, about the Declaration is that with the language in place, it could be used over time to speak back, to broaden that way, to include more as also endowed with inalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And one strong African-American tradition taken up by Frederick Douglass and Langston Hughes and MLK and others has been to use the Declaration of Independence against the United States itself, saying, you made these promises and you have never kept them. Uh, and this is the language we're going to hold you to account for. But I also think that what Tracy K. Smith so powerfully crafted here is not just a way to say, hey, this Declaration of Independence has never been fulfilled. But in fact, this Declaration of Independence created the conditions in which these horrors were perpetrated. Mm. And we need to be reminded of the specifics of those horrors, which are in fact even embedded in the founding document itself. As I hear you talking, I'm seeing how, as you say, she brings all of these elements into relief, the things that were erased from the Declaration of Independence, she's bringing them right up to the surface. You know, she kind of keeps... um, some of those elements of the language, but then they feel so contemporary. So look at the beginning of the poem. He has sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people. And those officers feel like police officers in the 21st century, right? Mm -hmm. But in the Declaration of Independence, they were the officers of the British king, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And then... What she does after that is very, it, it's amazing. Uh, it's so powerful. It's an incredible use of the M dash, a long dash after the next several phrases, right? So listen to this again. He has plundered our, ravaged our, destroyed the lives of our, and then it goes on. And the empty space that follows those M dashes is a reminder of all that's been lost because of the white supremacy um, that is a framework for this document, right? Yeah, and the only hour that's completed is that first one, our people, to harass Mm. our people, and the rest is Mm. left hanging. 
And I think one of the things it does is it opens it up. I mean, so many things have been plundered that how do you how do you complete that? So many things have been ravaged and destroyed that how do you complete that? Mm. Um, and the other thing that I think it does with that incredible dash, that that hanging transitive verb, is that it kind of invokes the idea of crimes that really are unspeakable. The only thing to do is to evoke them. You can't really put them into words itself. Uh, and we've talked about this many times on the podcast, but poetry is often using words to reach beyond language itself, to evoke that which language itself cannot capture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is so powerfully done here where you're left hanging and there's just this, surrounded by this kind of white space uh, before you move to the next phrase and then left hanging again. Yeah. And then Tracy Smith breaks that series of M dashes and those silences and those open spaces um, with what feels like a more complete clause. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. Uh, It's very powerful pattern of repetition uh, to use the word repeated twice and to start with the humility of the petition and the injuries that have been suffered as a result of those petitions. Yeah. And what I love about this, I mean, I love so many things about this particular moment in the poem, but one thing to notice is that in the actual Declaration of Independence, that is, there is no separation there between the one clause and the other. So um, if you look at the poem on the page, Tracy Smith has added space. So you have mm. one line, in every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. And then she's added space there where there is no space in the actual Declaration of Independence. Jefferson just keeps going to the next line. But here the added space shows you a kind of waiting. I'm waiting for a response. We have made these petitions and we are sitting here waiting. And the white space gives you that sense of waiting. And then you get the response. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. Um, And so she has, she's not just erased things she's also added spaces into things to create the effect that she desires. I mean, one way to think about this poem, we've talked about sonnets in this podcast before and how they have a turn in them. And often the turn comes basically two-thirds of the way through the poem. And if this is exactly two-thirds of the way through the poem, and it's a kind of turn. So you have all of these grievances, plundered, ravaged, destroyed, taking away, abolishing, and then this culminating grievance, altering fundamentally the forms of our... That is, things are so radically changed that the, even the forms of life itself are, or mm. however you might complete that clause, right? The forms themselves are radically altered. And then, like a sonnet, you have a kind of turn. We have done the following in response. We have petitioned humbly for redress. And then an immediate turn again, those petitions have been denied. Yeah, yeah. I am very interested in what you say about the the sonnet form This isn't a traditional sonnet, but it does have, again, that kind of sonnet thought that we've talked about before. You're talking about this shift that occurs toward the second half of the poem, Um, and then there's this really powerful ending. There's one more complete sentence. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. And then look what happens in the final three very brief gestures that slowly descend down the page. Taken captive, 
on the high seas to bear. Mm -hmm. Once again, really big gaps in between those brief phrases. Um, but if you, again, if you don't have the poem in front of you, the poem ends with taken captive on the high seas to bear. And then there's an M dash. And then there's that open space again. Mm-hmm. To bear what, right? To, and and this, this notion of what has been born by an entire people across history, it's enormous mm-hmm. uh, and devastating. So one quick thing to point out is that that to bear with a dash, the ending, shows the poem as ongoing. This isn't just in the past. To bear, dash, and that's where the poem ends. And so this thing is not just in the past. This this is a poem about the ongoing bearingness uh, of, of what has gone on. And by rooting it in the Declaration of Independence, it kind of sketches a whole history of African-American suffering uh, from the beginning of the United States to the present day and ongoing, taken captive on the high seas to bear. For me as a reader, I can't go back to the Declaration of Independence without thinking about what she's done to it. It's really an incredible poem. Yeah. Uh, With all this in mind, would you be willing to read the poem again, please? Yes. Declaration. He has sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people. He has plundered our, ravaged our, destroyed the lives of our, taking away our, abolishing our most valuable, and altering fundamentally the forms of our. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here, taken captive on the high seas to bear. For more information about Tracy Smith and her work, please visit our website at poetryforall.fireside.fm. And you can subscribe to Poetry for All wherever you get your podcasts. Please be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Mm-hmm.